0: Please open your Bibles to John chapter 10. Last time we covered verses 1 through 21, and today we will finish up the rest of this chapter and look at the first few verses of chapter 11. Jesus is in Jerusalem where he has healed a man that was uh, born blind and then went on to explain to the people how he is the Good Shepherd as well as the door through which the sheep enter in. The Jews, however, continue to be divided over him. Some say he has a demon, and others profess that he is from God. But we'll continue on in our study today by picking it up in verse 22. So John chapter 10, verse 22, it says, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now, just so we can have a better understanding of this time period here, the Feast of Dedications was a celebration that today we know of as Hanukkah. They celebrated the fact that a man named Judas, Maccabee, he had put together a band of warriors to overthrow a very harsh and nasty king of Syria named uh, Epiphanes, He had um, desecrated the temple before he was defeated by uh, Judas Maccabee and his group in 164 B.C. But to this day, the Jews still celebrate this time through what is called, like I said, Hanukkah, or another name is the Feast of Lights. So, as Jesus walked into the temple here, this is what was going on. They were celebrating this fact. Verse 24 says, Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, that word, surrounded there, in this verse, verse 24, is a Greek word that implies they they boxed him in or or backed him into a corner. It's funny to me, though, uh, that they said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, as we've been studying, if you've been following along here through the Gospel of John, could it get any plainer? Has he not already healed a lame man and a blind man? Has he not already explained to them that he is the door and he is the good shepherd? Was it not enough that right in front of them he convicted men of their sin and forgave the sin of a woman caught in adultery? He's already told them that He is one with the Father and has come down from heaven, but they refuse to believe in Him. And therefore, He knew that they were not His sheep. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Now verses 28 and 29 there speak of eternal security. But Before those verses, in verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So, as long as a person is actively following Jesus, they will never lose their eternal security. No one is able to snatch them out of Jesus' hand or the Father's hand. But following Jesus is a choice. We have a free will to follow Jesus or to not follow Jesus. Jesus does not force us into the fold of his sheep, nor does he put chains on us once we're in the fold. But as long as you continue to follow Jesus, you will be safe and secure. Do you see that? He is the good shepherd that laid down his life to purchase us with his blood, and he will by no means let us go. There's a there's a song on the radio, it's a great song, uh, by a young man named Phil Wickham. And and the song is called Safe. And I love the words that Phil wrote in that song. It, it says, You will be safe in His arms, because the hands that hold the world are holding your heart. This is the promise He made. He will be with you always. And when everything is falling apart, you will be safe in His arms. You see, but God doesn't have slaves. He has slaves children, people who willfully choose to follow Him and continue to follow Him. Jesus continues on in verse 30. I and my Father are one. So they wanted Him to tell them plainly if He was the Christ. And here again, He makes it very plain and clear. Once again, they had a choice to follow Him. But what did they do? Verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. It's sad, isn't it? But, you know, it's still the same way today. Some people just refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. In this case, these people were so steeped in their religion, um, they would defy anything that was contrary to it. But in reality, Jesus fulfilled the law he had come and had done nothing but good works verse 32 says jesus answered them many good works i have shown you from my father for which of those works do you stone me you know i believe this question from jesus can be you know can still be asked today to the hearts of many men and women all of us here on this earth jesus has done all He can to show us His love. So why is He rejected and refused today by so many people? Why has He been chased out of our schools and public buildings? They say it's because of the law of our land and the separation of church and state. But what does that have to do with Jesus? He didn't come to destroy laws. He came to offer eternal life and give us a hope and a future. He didn't come creating religion and spiritual bondage, but rather He came to redeem us and to set us free. Mankind has turned our Savior, Jesus Christ, into a religion. Man did that. Jesus Christ is not a religion man has made him into a religion has painted him as a religion and then said we got to keep him separate and keep him out of our schools and keep him out of our you know communities whatever it may be our our public buildings you know the religious jews rejected him and today a self-centered religious people still reject him they don't need him they may name his name They may even put his name on on their building. But you see, it's not about Jesus' name being on your buildings. It's not about his name being on your bumper stickers. It's not about you getting a tattoo with his name. It's about Christ in you, the hope of glory. His true followers today, as it was in that day, know his voice and follow him. And heaven is awaiting them the true followers of Jesus Christ. So he asked the Jews here why they wanted to stone him. And verse 33 says, the Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man, make yourself God. So, you see, what these Jews are expressing to Jesus here is that they believe he's just a man. But by saying this, they're actually contradicting themselves, because back in, in verse 24, we saw that they said, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So I really believe that as you read this, yeah, I see that somewhere within the hearts of these Jews, their hearts were being challenged. The truth was, was chipping away at them as to who Jesus is. And for many today, that same thing, it gnaws at them. Who is Jesus? It's why they don't like the name. A lot of people like the name. It's okay to use the name of Jesus walking down the street if you use it as a curse word. No big deal, is it? But if you use the name of Jesus in some other way, if you tell people Jesus loves you, well, then you're a freak. You can can say the name of Jesus cursing, and you're all right. But you say the name of Jesus by telling people Jesus loves them, you're a freak. You're a Jesus freak. (laughs) But... You know, it seems as if there was a battle taking place, though, as we study through this in the hearts of these Jews. They needed to individually come to Jesus and believe in Him, just like people need to do today. But, you know, by staying united together, they, these, they were just continuing to remain in their confusion as they fed off of one another, this group that was constantly antagonizing Jesus. And you know, I have definitely learned that the company we keep is very, very important. When it comes to our ability to grow in our relationship with the Lord and to be led by Jesus, to know his voice, to hear his voice, we cannot be followers of movements that are led by other men and women. Not even followers of churches and and things and religions and things like that. I really believe. That if you don't stand for Jesus, you will fall for anything. In other words, if you're not standing firmly on that one foundation, that is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation. If you're not standing on that foundation, you will fall for anything. And how do we stand on Jesus? Well, we know his voice. How do we know his voice? We know his word. How do we know his word? We read it, we study it, we listen to it, we hear it, we place it within our hearts. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You know, but anyway, you know, just kind of keeping on this subject here of the company we keep, you know, and how these Jewish religious leaders seem to be feeding off of one, one another and just constantly staying this way. Uh, turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. 1 uh, Corinthians, you'll find in your Bible three books to the right of the Gospel of John. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, we are going to look at verses 33 and 34. So 1 Corinthians 15, 33 through 34. Hopefully you're there. It says, Do not be deceived, evil company. Corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You see, don't expect to be able to hang around with those that are not followers of Jesus Christ, that are not listening to his voice, that are not of his sheepfold, and and expect to grow as a Christian. You see, followers of Jesus are leaders and not followers. You see, we have one leader. And and we're to be not of this world, following that leader and standing firm and strong in the truth of his word and who he is. And on the fact that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is coming again. Back in John chapter 10. You can go ahead and turn back there. Um, These men are all banded together for a common cause. We've seen a few different times where some of them are touched in their hearts by the things Jesus does, but others remain staunch in their criticism and attacks on him. Um, So in verse 33, they accuse Jesus of blasphemy because they say He makes Himself God. Verse 34 says, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. Now, that word God's there is the Greek word theos. But when Jesus spoke this to the Jews, He was speaking in Hebrew. And here, Jesus quotes Psalm 82 6 to them, which was taken from their law. Psalm 82 6 says, I said, You are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. You see, if you ever want to go ahead and study Psalm 82, this psalm was addressed to the judges of Israel. They were called gods, not because they were divine. But because they represented God when they judged the people, today we adjust our excuse me um, address our judges with the words "Your Honor," right? Even though some of them are of questionable character, you see, as Jesus spoke Hebrew to these Jews in the Gospel of John, he used the word Elohim when he said this to them, meaning that. They were mighty ones in the land. Remember um, that these men that Jesus are speaking to, they're, they're Pharisees and scribes. They are responsible for the word of God. So they should be spokesmen for God. Verse 35, If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? You see, Jesus is saying here that if unjust judges can be called gods in the Old Testament, how much more right does he have to be called the Son of God? Those judges were born into the world, just like every other fallen man. Jesus, however, was sanctified and sent by God into the world. Jesus cannot deny the fact that he is God, but he can deny the fact that he was blaspheming. Now, I know you are familiar with these verses, but let's turn to John chapter 1. And some of you may not be familiar with these verses. John chapter 1. So just go back a few chapters in the Gospel of John here, to chapter 1. And um, let's start reading in verse 1. So John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Now, just for the sake of time here, jump down to verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, it doesn't get any plainer than that. Jesus is God in the flesh, and as they question him, he could not deny who he was and is. But he is pointing out to them um, that he is not blaspheming by saying he is the Son of God. Go ahead and turn back to John chapter 10, verse 37 and 38. Say, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know, and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. So here Jesus is pleading with them to believe. If they want to deny him, Jesus is saying, at least believe as a result of the works you have seen me do. You know, I, I read another paraphrase of verse 38, and I, I like it. I really don't like paraphrases of, of the Bible, but this one is, it just really hits it real well here. And I'm just going to read it to you the way it's it's paraphrased. Um, those verses that we just read there, 37 and 38, here's a paraphrase of it. If I do the works of my Father, then though you though you may not be convinced by what I say, then be convinced by what I do. Though you resist the evidence of my words, yield to the evidence of my work. In this way, you learn to know and believe that I and my Father are indeed one, He in me and I in Him, and that in claiming to be His Son, I speak no blasphemy. But what decision did the Jewish men make here? Look at verse 39. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And here again in that verse we see that Jesus' hour had not yet come. It's not time for him to permit them to seize him. He still has work left to do. At this point in time, Jesus is entering into his third year of ministry. It won't be long from now, when He will allow them to go ahead and capture Him, and Jesus will go to the cross. But for now, Jesus continues on, and verse 40 says, And He went away again, beyond the Jordan, to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there He stayed. Then many came to Him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man or true, and many believed in him there. Okay? So it seems here as if this group of people that followed Jesus to this place, as it says there beyond the Jordan, were true believers in Jesus. They were not like this other group of people that were constantly antagonizing Jesus and refusing to believe in him. And you know, the same holds true today. There are many people that just, like I said earlier, won't believe. They want to say, well, if Jesus is this, then why this? If God this, then why that? When they just don't want to get into the Word of God and find out who God really is, like we're seeing as we go through these studies. And continuing on in our study, verse 1 of chapter 11 says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, when we get to chapter 12, we will look at the story of how Mary anointed Jesus' feet. But the topic here is that Lazarus was sick. You see, Jesus had a close and a personal relationship with this family, and especially with Lazarus. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick, there in verse 3, right? Um, now, there are three different words used in uh, the Bible for the word love. As you may or may not know, the, the New Testament was written in Greek, okay? In the Greek language, there are actually four words used to describe love. There's the word storhe. And that's the kind of love that you would use to express your love for a little puppy. Something like that. There's the word eros. Uh, that's, that's sexual kind of love. There's the word phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia from. And, and that word expresses a, a brotherly love. Agape is an unconditional love where you love expecting nothing in return. John 3.16 is that kind of love. You know that verse, if not, look that verse up. That's unconditional love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's God's kind of love, agape love. But here in verse 3, the word used for love is the Greek word Phileo. Jesus was God and he was there. He was here on the earth. He was showing the world agape love, unconditional love, but he was also a man and he made friendships with people and had brotherly love for people. You and me today are still faced with the same opportunities. We receive God's agape love and we can also give out God's agape love, unconditional love. Turn to um, uh, 1 John, chapter 4. So it's toward the back of your Bibles. You'll find 1 John, Second John, Third John, John, all those Johns together. We're going to look at 1 John, chapter 4. And uh, let's look down. Let's start reading in verse 19. So hopefully you've got, you're there in your Bibles, and you've got your Bibles open to that page. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. It says, We love Him because He first loved us. So we see here that mankind was not the initiator of agape love, true love, unconditional love. Like I said earlier, John 3, 16 says, God so agapeo the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates His own agapeo or agape love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, that's unconditional love. You don't have to do something to earn it. And John 15.13 says, Greater love or greater agape has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends so you see when god sent his son he showed unconditional love when jesus went to the cross and died he showed unconditional love now here in 1 john chapter 4 as evidence that we have received unconditional love verse 20 goes on to say If someone says, I agapeo God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not agapeo his brother whom he has seen, how can he agapeo God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who agapeo God must agapeo his brother also. So you see, we have received... God's unconditional love, and we should be reflecting God's unconditional love upon others. Jesus showed unconditional love to the world, but as a man in the flesh, he also expressed brotherly love, and he had that kind of friendship with Lazarus. And you know, have you been wounded by friends? Have people that supposedly loved you or phileo love you, (laughs) have they kind of taken out a knife and maybe filleted you instead? (laughs) Well, you can call on Jesus, no matter what the circumstances of your life. Mary and Martha knew just who to call on when death struck their household. Jesus is agape love, unconditional love, but he is also the greatest friend you'll ever have. When no one else can understand the hurt you feel inside, Jesus is there with the kind of love you need, whatever it is. When friends or family wound you, Jesus has a love for you that will not end, and it's the right kind of love you need. When the most unbearable thing happens, and it feels as though you are going to cave in, There is no greater love than Jesus. We will stop here in our study today. God bless, guys. Thanks for listening. Stay plugged in to God's word. Know the truth about who Jesus really is. God bless. We'll see you next time.